Comedy Pods proudly presents Garrett Teitelbaum. It's nice to see he's working. I just want to talk about the Big Apple, New York <laughs> City. No, I'm. No, we can talk about it all. I was born in Bergen County, New Jersey, right over across right. the river. Did you go? In, how long did you stay there? I know you moved around a lot. I did move around a lot. I moved there. From New, I was born in '86. We moved to Harrisburg by '88. Oh, okay. My brother was born there. Then we did Philly, Elkins Park, Cheltenham, mm-hmm. north of the city, until kindergarten. My dad was at Temple, got his doctorate, got his first teaching job at Tulane. So we moved in to New, New Orleans. Orleans. Right. So I did kindergarten through third grade down there, and then ended up in Dayton, Ohio, when he started teaching at UD in '95, '96. Gotcha. And we were there ever since. I did a summer in college in Connecticut and one here in Pittsburgh. Okay. And then after college, oh, and then in college, I did a semester in Hawaii. Right. And then lived in Maryland for my first four, four and a half years after college. So, total of seven states. Oh my gosh. My gosh, Garrett Teitelbaum. <laughs> Are we on now? Yeah, we're recording. It's nice to see he's traveling and moving <laughs> and joining me on the podcast today. Episode 153, the day after April Fool's Day. It is Pittsburgh comedy alumni and my friend Phil Forrance. What's up, everybody? How's it going, Garrett? Good, man. How have you been? I've been good. Life's pretty good. I, uh, it's been good since the last time. It's been fun out in New York. How you been? I'm doing well. Yeah, we did an exit interview before you left. You've been on the podcast for the countdown shows before. And then back in probably the original 15 or so episodes, we had you, Joey Marchie, and Osha Dwyer as the head writers for Pit Tonight. My gosh. (laughs) At least a four-time. Oh, and you were on the episode we taped at... um, Trundle Manor, when I did oh. the Green Room show, too. Oh, that's right. So I get my little five-timers jacket. That's right. Yeah, in the five-timers club. <laughs> you and Kevin O'Brien. Yeah. <laughs> How's Kevin doing? Does he ever come back? Kev's good. I interviewed him and Michelle for episode 100, Okay. which now is a year ago, because we're at episode 153. So wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. It's been that long. I just did episode 150, where a buddy of mine was in town to see Dayton play Duquesne, mm. and he interviewed me, which oh. I had done right before I turned 30. I had Megan Klein interview me. Oh, I remember that. So... How did this one go? This time around, it was fun because Sean's known me for a little longer than Megan had at the time Mm -hmm. and knows, uh, I I think, what questions to ask me or at least some stories that uh, hopefully opened me up to the audience in a way that they don't normally get. What was like a kernel that you got out there? What sort of a Garrett Title Bomb? <laughs> yeah, what Garrett, what Garrett, Garrett Title Bomb came Jeez, out? Jeez, oof. I don't know. I don't know what they learned about me. I really like The Wire. I'm very simple. I don't, yeah, I'm not, a simple man. It wasn't questions about... <laughs> I've lived in a lot of places. I like the Dayton Flyers, and I don't watch The Wire. It wasn't questions about like my comedy process too much, which is kind of what I try to do on the show. Right. Have you felt like, since you got to New York, your writing style or your approach? Because you were always very... like formulaic in like this is what I do I do this many each week and I try and not like you have like a formula to success as far as like your goals each week in comedy that you kind of built around at least when you were doing pit tonight I love formulas and systems because it makes it easier for me to uh not think like I I don't know I if I sometimes in comedy you probably experience this like you'll meet people who just like are so opposed to any formula like you know what I mean they'll be you'll be like oh you know maybe you should like make the funniest word at the end of the sentence and they'll be like dude 
no. That's not how <laughs> you should just be works. funny. You should just go up there and be funny. And I'm like, that eh, just never works for me. <laughs> <laughs> I always end up like trying to be vulnerable or something. And then there's nothing funny comes out. So yeah, I love formulas. So yeah. in terms of like process, uh, uh, mostly like I, I usually, I started getting up like, uh, an hour before work. Okay. So like, and I write or an hour before, like I get up for work. Um, uh, so I'll just write for an hour in like the morning. And then, uh, if I find something funny, like, uh, I've been trying this new thing, uh, called the, the body method. <laughs> okay. It's, uh, when you, when you write, you don't like pick jokes that you think are funny. You pick jokes that while you're writing them or while you're thinking them actually make you laugh. Like, uh, oh, so it's like a trust your gut sort of, uh, exactly like okay. involuntary laughter. Like exactly. Yeah. So like you're not, and who, uh, it's the guy who wrote Dilbert. It was like the comic strip Dilbert. I think his name Scott, Scott Adams. Adams. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he was talking about it and, uh, BJ Novak talked about it and I was like, I just listened to his, uh, book of short stories. BJ oh, Novak. Is it good? It's really good. Yeah. Oh man. I want to check it out. Is it's it funny. One more thing. It's stories and other stories. Yeah. It's very funny. They're all different lengths. And on the audio book he had, like Rain Wilson and Jenna Fisher and a handful of other people like come on and do guest characters and things. Mindy Kaling was a part of it. So it was interesting. And a lot of them were very well done. Oh, um, and I, cause a friend of mine, when I told him that he wrote a book for children called like a book with no pictures, that's supposed to be pretty decent. Too, that that, a, friend, yeah. a friend of mine's four year old is a big fan of. Oh, nice. So two Are thumbs you... up from Charlie. Oh, I'll, t- <laughs> I'll read it. Um, yeah, I'm a big Simon Rich fan. Have you ever read his? No, what's his stuff? Simon Rich was like, I think he's like the youngest SNL writer ever or something. He can't like, and he was with John Mulaney and Bill Hader in those years. And he writes like books like that. They're almost like books of bits. Like they're short stories, but they're all just like, there may be a page or two. And it's, they're so funny, man. Like Ant Farm. If you, if you want to check it out, Ant Farm is so funny. But you're saying about um, Scott Adams writing process. Right. Well, I, I was reading about them and they were like talking about how like they don't think about what's funny. They just like, if they laugh, then then they had to have thought it was funny, it you know, funny. and that takes a lot of the pressure off sometimes when you're writing. Um, so I've been trying to use that. So like just write for an hour and if something makes me laugh while I'm writing, like without me trying to overthink it, I go, Oh, I like circle it and I go like, well, let's try that out. Now, do you find that that morning session works well? Cause I know for a while when you were finishing up school, you used like some morning time for meditation. Is this yeah. kind of become the place that, cause how early can you really wake up and be <laughs> on top of everything? That's true. I still do the meditation, but do I do it afterwards. So okay. I wake up, I'll like, uh, do with some pushups just to get my brain working. Um, and maybe I'll take like a cold shower or something and then I'll, I'll, I'll write for like an hour and then Shannon and I actually usually meditate together. So we'll nice. do that. And then, uh, and then when I go out to Mike's, just like try it, you know, it's uh, in New York, you can do like a ton, but you only get like two and a half minutes. So usually pick like one or one, one joke or two. To focus yeah, on. yeah, exactly. One joke to focus on and then do kind of Norlex always told me like to not always, he told me once to like, just do like good stuff on either end. And just do, especially in New York, where like you know, if anybody sees you, like you could, that could really not make or break you, but it could really help you if they see you do your best stuff. Open a handful of doors quickly. Exactly, yeah. it is exactly it. So just try something funny, you know, off the bat that like it works. Do something at the end that works, and then in the middle, do like the joke you're working on. Well, that's what Seneca and I have talked about, and even here with like longer mics, like at four and five minutes, about yeah. like punching the code in order right. to like, get the audience on your side. That first joke to at least set that up. It's something I didn't agree with for a while, but now I'm totally on board. <laughs> I think it makes sense, especially in a short set, because you need to sandwich it. And I don't even necessarily think about like the clothes having to be strong, but obviously you want to end on a big laugh. That's kind of the, the key to comedy. Yeah, <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> so, uh, 
So yeah, it's pretty much been the process. Um, it's fun. It's uh, New York is like it can you know you can just get up so much and you can meet so many people. So that's uh, that helps the process a little bit. But actually, like in terms of the amount of time you get on stage, you can especially Pittsburgh where you can get like up two three times a week or two three times in a, a night. night. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you get five minute sets or ten minute sets sometimes. Right. You can actually get way more net time, I think, than just doing like New York, where maybe you could do five or six in a night, but you only get two and a half each time. So, so you maybe get ten in total. Exactly. And that's a high mark. Yeah. And that's so much transit, and you sure. know, it's uh, annoying. So yeah, how do you kind of map out the week? Do you look at like where the mics are and sort of like try to figure out I can get to two logistically or three? Right. So yes. A lot of times it's like on the senior. Well, after you do it for a while, you kind of, you know, you you're know where everything exactly. Is. Um, yeah, sure. But like there's this place called Creek in the Cave, uh, which yeah. if you go out to New York, I recommend doing. But they just have so many open mics. Like they have, first of all, they have one every day at six. Nice. And then most days at eight. And then, you know, sometimes 11. And they have like, you know, usually three mics a day. So wow. I'll almost always start my day there. And then from there, it's like whatever's closest and whatever gives you the most time. So it's constantly like open micers going, oh, I heard about this place as a variety mic. We'll check that out. Or sometimes the opposite. You won't do mics. You'll just be like, oh, like, let's go to XYZ Club and hang out and uh, try to meet people and, you know, see what that's like. And you got to, like, live the networking side of it. And were those more like showcases where other people are booked and you're just trying to, yeah. like, be in the room and hang out? Yeah, it's something I'm actually, that's more what I've been moving toward uh, now. But sure. you, you have to do it, actually, and especially in New York. Like, in Pittsburgh, if you go to mics and you're funny, even if you're not funny, They'll put you up. Yeah, eventually, for sure. <laughs> you'll get on stage. You'll get on shows. Like, you'll be okay. And I found in New York, unless you're generationally talented, that doesn't really happen. You have to kind yeah. of put yourself out there a little bit more. Go to the shows you want to be on. Meet people. Kind of always be churning. Well, uh, I always commend it. And I, I give this advice to anybody who comes up. But you, as the Pit Tonight kind of crew, you, uh, Joey and Osha, used to go to shows quite a bit. And yes. you would stay in the room for mics. And you guys did that sort of um, audience sort of a attitude and you were very engaged with going to shows on the weekends when you guys weren't getting booked those first six months. Yeah, I think that's true for some reason being, maybe it's because that was my first time in comedy as well yeah. because I was just like so excited to watch other people do stand up, And I know we were excited just to be in the scene now that like I'm a few years in, like I'm not as excited to watch other people do no, stand up. That's very fair. If that makes sense. And I don't have like a crew of like people starting the exact same time as me. But you're right. It it's it works here and it works in New York, but you gotta you really gotta pound the pavement in terms of it. And also like I talked to Lex about this too, but the the first year in New York is hard. That's oh, what sure. everybody says. Like it's a crazy shift in terms of everything, like your lifestyle, um, probably your job. And then in terms of comedy, wherever you came from, you were probably like more toward the top half, like right. at least. And then maybe you were the best. You were working in the Exa city. Exactly. And getting, getting, people knew who you were. You had opportunities to do if you, middle sets, feature sets, some smaller headliners, sort of like closer positions. And Precisely. Yeah, totally. And then you get to New York and like... You're nobody to nobody. You are nobody to nobody. And then you talk to people and you see people at mics who are just killers. And you're like, man, like how much do you get booked? They're like, oh, I never get booked. And you're like, <laughs> what? And then they're so good. So uh, what do you call it? Oh, it's a shock. So the first year is tough. So that's the other thing. Like you just got to kind of wade through it. 
And uh, you know. yeah, what's the best piece of advice? And again, you're what six nine months into living there, but like yeah. for people that want to acclimate to the city, how would you or where would you look to set up? Or obviously, uh, you mentioned Creek in the Cave having such a, like a variety of days and times you can get up. Yeah, what's the best advice you can give to somebody that you wouldn't have uh, thought of before you got there? Well, I got this advice, but I didn't take it, and that was dumb. Uh, which was move to Brooklyn. Um, Brooklyn is super residential. Yeah. Um, and I live in Manhattan and Brooklyn can be cheaper too. Uh, not when you get closer to Manhattan, but if you live further out and, uh, there's so many mics in Brooklyn. Like if you really want to sure. pound mics and like, it's just so easy to get to them all. They're all like, I know people who live within like a walking distance of like, you know, so like nine mics or something. And the whole so, like, triangle where there's a bunch of stuff. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, ask other comics, like where is the best place to move? Um, so that's good. And then maybe Astoria is another place that's cheaper. Yeah. Um, if you want to go up there, maybe less mics up there, but still like pretty good for your value. Yeah. I live on Manhattan and, I did it because they were supposed to shut down the L line, which is runs from Brooklyn to Manhattan. And that's where I was working. Okay. So I was like, I don't really want to deal with that. And so I was like, let me just live in Manhattan. Um, and then it'll be easy for me to get to work my first year. After the first year of my job, I go remote. Oh, so I was cool. like, after that first year, I can move to wherever. Yeah. So that being said, that plan kind of did work out and will work out. But <laughs> I wish I'd lived in Brooklyn. What's it like been adjusting to having a working schedule versus a college schedule and doing comedy? Well, it's hard. Um, it's really hard. Yeah, <laughs> I, I thought it'd be because I'd done. I don't know if you remember, but I used to do co-op. internships or co-ops. Yeah. that's what they're called. And those were pretty much you know you had to work forty hours a week. Yeah. Um, but that being said, like I didn't have a girlfriend when I did those, and yeah. she didn't live with me, and she knew people in the city, so like. Now I live in New York and I live with my girlfriend and she doesn't really have a home base set up yet. Like she doesn't have people she can go out with every day. She doesn't live with roommates who she can hang out with. Right. And we live together. So it's like, you can't just like say like, Hey, you know, I'm not going to come home till 1am for the whole week this week. Uh, I'll never see you. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, hopefully we stay together. So, um, <laughs> I think having the job and like a committed relationship, and comedy that's really been like the adjustment to because find the balance of three yeah because yeah. even because in pittsburgh it would it would be tough because i would i would do 40 hours a week and then i'd come home every day take a nap maybe and write and then i would go out to like the 8 p.m or 9 p.m mic but yeah. in new york like i just get off work and go to like there's mics starting start at five and six and they started like two wow. <laughs> yeah i guess you've got the tourist population and people that are going or do the though those sorts of mics at like two and four and even six have audiences i mean are there people there that are there to watch comedy no no mics have audiences oh, really? <laughs> it's okay. uh, that's another shift um there's, there's obviously some every once in a while, yeah. especially if you do a variety mic, you can get more of an audience and the musicians kind of proxy as an audience. Right. Um, that being said, like Creek in the Cave, like you just perform for comics. Interesting. But okay. And you think that like when that happens in Pittsburgh, it actually stinks because like you're all just kind of like rolling your eyes and like going like, oh, I guess I'll do my jokes and you'll try it. But like in New York, it's all randomized. So you have to pay attention because you might be like next soon. Yeah. And everybody, and because you don't see the same people over and over again, and the sets are so short, the comics usually do function as a pretty good audience, to be okay. honest. Like, it's especially at Creek, like, it's not, it's not as bad as maybe here when we would all just like, there's you a beer hive. Yeah, point. and everybody's just on their phone. And you don't know the order. That's the other thing. And so, yeah. So, so I would say that that's better. But yeah, you almost never get audiences in New York. It's, you have to get shows to get audiences. And okay. even those shows, 
a lot of times don't have audiences. It's a uh, really it's difficult. I guess that's more surprising than it should be, but you just expect like New York City to have like an audience. And I guess once you get to like the show level and stuff that happens, what does that kind of tier process look like as far as like how much time or like you talk about doors opening if you have the right set at the right, right. time? How has that been as far as feeling like you're getting enough work now that you're up there? Is there ever, I guess, a point where we feel like we have enough work as comics? Well, uh, I get very little work, but it's not because I'm being unfairly judged. Sure. <laughs> uh, I'm like, you know, I, I like what I do. I like my stuff, but like, I would look around and I see people who are better. Yeah. And uh, even they don't get booked that much. So I can't like I can't be like, well, I should get booked. Fair. Um that being said, what does it look like? Uh, for me personally, that's how it looks. I, I, don't, I don't get booked that much, but that happens. You start off. It's your you first have to, year and you're still exactly. acclimating to all you of You got to pay yeah. your dues. And like, I again, I've had to balance more than I did in the past. So I haven't right. been able to put as much into it. Um, so one of the reasons I started writing in the morning was just like so that I could um, do more. where Because I, I couldn't yeah. go out to all the mics everybody else could. So I was like, well, let me dedicate time to writing and like really putting like pen to the paper. And that'll maximize the amount of time i do get on stage but uh in terms of that it's like you go to mics i think the real way to move up is like one be good like if you're good yeah just it just smooths everything like you know undeniably funny exactly that that's amazing that being said you can't you also if you really want it you've got to show people you want it so it's like where it's like what i was saying earlier you're like um do a couple bringer shows at clubs that's like one thing i'm doing coming up i'm doing like a broadway comedy club they have a bringer show uh where you do like but it's called they're actually really dope it's called the industry room and they have like the booker of the club comes and watches the whole show and after the show like the top two people on it get residencies where they get to do like uh, Saturday 8 p.m. slot for the next like three months and nice. they get the booker gives them notes sure and then that happens but not even the top but most people who do it get like books so the top two get a residency but the rest of them still if they were good get you shows yeah. exactly and once you're in with a, like a place like that where you can be show up like that's really helpful because you can show up you can talk to people you can yeah. kind of get on shows more organically um but that's one thing. So what I guess what I'm saying is you've got to show them that you want to move up. Yeah. And if you're not ready to move up, they'll tell you, hey, you got to get better. Uh, and then you get better. And then that's like the next task. But if you feel like you're good and you feel like you can do it, go to places where like people are doing good shows, like try to meet with people who are better than you and uh, you'll kind of get brought up as a process. That's kind of where I am right now. Yeah. Uh, I've been just like pounding the mics before this just because I wanted to learn what it was like in new york and kind of repay my dues Certainly. Um, but at this point i'm like i might start i'm gonna start changing out like doing two three mics a night maybe like do one or two and then go to a show and just hang out so that's what it's like at least at my from the from the from the six month to yeah nine, from the yeah, six month nine month level process. yeah what's it been like because you mentioned norlex a couple times you have ramsey daniels up there as yeah. well having kind of Pittsburgh people that you can still see how often do you bump into them? Are you able to, you know, go to the shows that they're on or at least hang out at the mics together? Right. Ramsey, uh, he had some health issues when he first came out, so he didn't, he wasn't doing stand up. but then he started coming out and it was like a ton of fun to, uh, catch up with him and God, that guy's so funny. So it was, uh, yeah, it was just a lot of fun to, um, just to hang out and we would pal around, go to all the mics but Ramsey's had, I think he again had some health issues, um, so he hasn't been out as much. So I see him like a decent amount. Um, okay. It's always good to see him. Yeah, of course. He's such a fun guy. He's so nice and he's like great, great to chat with. 
But um, and then Lex, like I don't see Lex just because he's like tears above me, you know. Like yeah, he's sure. he's blowing up out there, man. He's uh, hopefully he gets like some TV work or something soon because he's so funny. Good. Um, yeah, he's a killer out there. He's a killer amongst killers, so he's really, really doing well. But he's still super grateful and nice and always wants to help. So like first day I got to New York, like he sat me down. He like gave me like pages of things of notes of like, here's what to do. Here's what not to do. Like here's, here's producers you can talk to if you want to start barking for shows. Like he immediately, he had a good, he had a good lay of the land having been a New Yorker his whole life before. I think it gives you some confidence for sure. Getting there because he knows the city. He's not intimidated by even that sort of a, like, where are the mics? I need to know how to get to this sort of stuff and to have that sort of an infrastructure. Plus when he left, he was three years in and very tightly written and had enough stuff, I think, to work up the tiers quickly um, just based on how he had set himself up here in Pittsburgh before he left, too. He made a lot of good decisions. That guy, <laughs> he's a wealth of knowledge, and it's always good to hear from him. So I completely agree. He put himself in great positions, yep. and then he executed on top of it. So. He's as smart as they come and, and just funny and gracious, and that's one of the nice things about being around somebody like Norlex, I'm sure. He really is. He's a community builder. Everybody I talk to, you could just see their faces light up. You could tell he wants everybody to feel good, um, to, like, it's hard to pay him enough compliments, but that guy is absolutely amazing. So he like sat me down and like, you know, gave me pages of notes of what yeah. to do, what not to do. And I still look at that every once in a while. Like it's, I still look at the pages and I go, Oh, that's right. I haven't been implementing that. So, um, that's the next thing. So yeah, the next thing I was going to do is, uh, go start hanging out more. I'm doing a bringer show. And then the other thing is barking. Like, uh, sure. Um, you can actually, some shows like you can bark and if you bring in people, you get a percentage of their ticket. So you actually make oh, money nice. off the, the tourists or off of, I guess, whoever you're convincing to come. Yeah. To and like the, the one place is Grizzly Pear, which is sure. in Pete Holmes show, but it's like right down the street from the cellar and, uh, the village underground. And so that's like a, that's Greenwich village. It's really hopping. And if you can like bark for them, you like people make like 80 bucks. I saw a lady the other night made like 200 bucks for barking for a couple hours. And then she got, did a set on a packed New York show. And it was like, okay, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah. So, um, that's the next thing. Like Norlex initially set me up with all that, but I was still getting adjusted. So I was like, I can't take like, I can't immediately jump to barking and immediately jump to stuff. I want to, I want to see what it's like here. I want to set up everything, but yeah. yeah, just from a city point of view, how have you liked getting adjusted to New York City versus your time in Pittsburgh and then in Philly growing up? It's hard. And uh, Pittsburgh is nice because it's drivable and it's cheap and it doesn't rent isn't that much. And even if like you don't own a car, you can like Uber to get groceries and then Uber back. And that's actually a pretty decent Common deal. Thing, yeah. yeah. Uh, New York is so expensive and it's so congested. So like we take like a subway to we're on the Upper East Side. We take a subway down to Times Square and the subway back up to the Upper West Side to go to Trader Joe's because they have the cheapest groceries. And we try to get everything for the week and just hold it and bring it back on the most crowded subways. <laughs> so things like that are frustrating. And we don't have like a laundry in unit or something. We have to like, you know, go to a laundromat. So yeah, that's yeah. new. But uh, but it's fine. It's a uh, it's just a different city. I'm actually I'm pretty adaptable. Uh, Shannon hasn't liked it very much. She uh, she kind of likes more space. And, sure. Um, you guys have a studio or one bedroom yeah, studio, so that's got to be real difficult. And you, and you guys hadn't lived together before. No, we had not. How is that adjusting? Because it, uh, like, living with a partner with a two-bedroom house, at least we have some room to get away from right. each other. And especially like you guys mentioned, you meditate together. Like, and I guess like if you wake up an hour early to write, she's right there next to you. Yeah. Like you can't be too far apart. How is it as far as the confines of uh, just 
that amount of space with two human beings. Uh, it's bad, <laughs> but it's uh, <laughs> all right. But oh, it's it's bad, but it it's good because it we've we're pretty good at it now. We don't really get in each other's hair if we need space. One of us sometimes will just go into the bathroom and sit on the floor and like uh, make a call. Yeah, but right. um, but actually, I, I'm actually pretty proud of how well we did. Uh, I think we had a lot of hurdles we learned like <clears throat> it forces you to maybe confront more issues than Definitely. if you had more space sure that's my at least my take on it but i don't um so it's been tough but we learned a lot and i think we're ready to uh move to at least a one bedroom <laughs> so <laughs> that'll be our next bet that's cool and you two are working on a podcast together yeah uh what do we call it we called it the shannon and phil oh uh all's fair with shannon and phil was the name we settled on we just got the music nice. uh, from a friend of mine who's a musician so yeah it's a it's a podcast where we kind of recap our fights so uh whatever um whatever like has been like bugging us like whether it's what do we want to get married when we get married do we have children like the things that like kind of are always lurking in the background and maybe you bring up but you know they're they're tough issues that and we try to make it like keep it like fun so uh, I know I sent you the first episode and you sent me back some notes. I haven't looked at the notes yet, so um, we're still reco- we're gonna we've recorded two now. So oh sure, I think we're gonna check out. I, I sent it to you and I sent it to Nate. So I haven't looked at the notes yet. So I'm gonna look at them. See what were your thoughts though? Actually, oh on your podcast, I yeah. think it's an interesting concept. The thing that I thought would help, at least from the pilot episode, if it's about like the conflict, uh, kind of coming back to either letting the audience vote. Ooh, on what it is like who was right and then it just felt like because the, the episode you sent me was about marriage yeah yeah that a lot of your arguments weren't necessarily about wanting to marry shannon <laughs> they were about you enjoying the institution of marriage oh i love it and, <laughs> sh- and shannon just believing that the government didn't need to be involved in her life that's true um, and whereas the conversation could have your to make a stronger argument could be these are why I want to marry you specifically, Aww. not just the institution being important to families. <laughs> so if, if you're trying to convince a woman to marry you, that was my at least initial. I was like, maybe go after it from it's this a good angle. take. <laughs> um, so either to like have an opening segment, kind of where you set up what the actual fight was about, right. maybe in more kind of detail. Mm. And then like this is where we came back to. And these are the two arguments or point counterpoint sort of style I think works well. But then to kind of like bookend it on each side, like set it up a little bit more like here's how the fight came to be. Here's where we are on it. And then the resolution being whether you two can come to a new agreement or open it to the audience to decide. And then next week you kind of go over the the results. Right. But I think it's a cool concept and you guys did a nice job. I think the half hour is a smarter way to be than trying to fill an hour like I do, especially if it's the same two people every week. Yeah. Absolutely. And we tried to do an hour and we couldn't fill it. So <laughs> it was a very natural uh, weeding out. I agree with that. And actually, like what, what I've been thinking about lately with it was I would like it to be, you know, when you'll talk to a couple and they'll recount a fight and one person will start and they'll be like, so I did this. And the person will be like, no, you actually did this. Sure. And so like you're both kind of trying to spin your story to this new third party objective thing. And that could be really funny because it can reveal all of the like complete changes in what you do and those like but you always do that and then like no i don't and then there's all these avenues you can go down it becomes a team story at that exactly and it's a lot of fun you're kind of vying against each other to see whose like outlook will win on the story so that's kind of what we envisioned especially that pilot episode got a little like like you said i think we both noticed as soon as we 
pressed stop. Shannon was like, we got really bogged down in technicalities there. <laughs> so I think we wanted to be more of that like fun kind of like funny thing. So I agree though. I kind of, recapping all that stuff would nicely set that up. It sets that up. And it, and as, as you do more and more, I think you two will become better at playing that story version of here's how this works. And then having that kind of back and forth you need, because co-hosting is very unnatural. <laughs> um, at least like when I've done it in stand-up shows, it, when you have two hosts for anything, you really have to find that balance of conversation and not step on each other. But like, and that takes time. That's it's the only so thing that hard. Does is it comes with like doing it over and over and over again. Yeah. You're left with like a lot of dead air where you're like, and then you can only say, Oh, that was awkward so many times right. before <laughs> you're like, wow, these people don't know what they're doing. Um, yeah. Co-hosting is so hard. So I agree. I think it will, we'll gain our footing as a yeah it takes time well that's good uh you did the theme song do you guys have like a planned release date or how many you're going to record or what's kind of your timeline before i think the advice came from you is like do five i think and have them in the can i'd like to have yeah i think always at least four to have like a month's worth of episodes is good to be that far ahead because if you can at least like when i had shows before this one where i didn't have the consistency of putting something out every week if you miss one week then it's easy to miss two and then you miss a month and and so if you're always working 3 to 4 weeks in advance it's easier to plan when guests come out obviously not guests per se but if you guys do here's an argument about something that ha- like mothers day fathers day sure. you plan them around events that are actually going on for release that helps but yeah just to be 3 to 4 weeks ahead I think is a natural sort of assist to, you know, make sure you don't miss a week depending on how often you're putting stuff out. Yeah. No, it's a good advice. So I think that's kind of following that. We're going to try to, we have two we recorded now. The first one, like we said, is the one we sent to you. We might use it. We might not. We think like, it's it good to have a pilot. And even if you tape a few like sample episodes, I think that's, yeah. that's never the worst thing to go. All right, well, we don't need to put this version out. You can always can it and then try that sort of you I know, think that's probably what that we'll do again with that feedback. Cause you can like when it's nice with podcasting, it's not as easy with stand up. but like we just recorded like, like I listened back to that first podcast and there were like the first 20 minutes. I was like, this is what I want. And then, like I said, it got bogged down. I was yeah. like, this is not what I want. <laughs> and then maybe the last five, I was like, that's what I want. So when it like figure out the structure of it, exactly. I think that's important, especially in that sort of a show where it's new topic each week, but the, the format doesn't really change. Yeah. I think that's important to like get those beats down so that way it's consistent week to week and the audience kind of knows what to expect from the flow of it. Yeah, I think we definitely have to invest some time in that. So yeah. appreciate that. Sure. So I think that's it. So no plan release date yet, but we've we've invested some money into it. That's something they say like is like not don't put a ton of money into it, but like enough money that you feel like you've actually put your investing in things. Yeah. So we paid our friend and then we're gonna try and get some artwork done. Cool. And then we're gonna try and like pay him some money so that we actually feel like we like this and we want to keep going. It's a show that you like. Are you listening to any podcasts? Is there anything that you like right now, now that you're commuting on uh, subways and such? Uh, I'm a big fan. Have you ever listened to Sam Harris? Um, I've done, I think one of his books. I'm yeah. trying to remember. I just ordered his book lying, but like he's yeah. got a lot of books. I read that on yeah. the recommendation of Alex Coyne. Yeah. He, that's he, exactly why I did it. What do you think? Go. It's good. Yeah. It's a quick read. Yeah. Um, I did it in like a day, day and a half. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's important to, make sure we're honest not just with other people but with ourselves and ultimately it just becomes more difficult when you're trying to maintain the deceit of of keeping yourself um dishonest for whatever reason it is Um, absolutely there's a lot of interesting stuff in the way that he approaches that conversation oh i'm so excited to read it (laughs) because i just got it and uh but yeah his podcast is called i think it's called making sense with sam harris okay but he's uh he's a big meditator he's like he like went you know out to 
all the Eastern countries and like study with all these people. So he's, re- and, but he's still a Westerner. So he's really good at relating kind of the ideas that are very foreign sure. to us who are kind of grew up in the McDonald's uh, <laughs> America that we did. How do you like the meditation at this point? Is it a daily practice or do you find that when you're not doing it or is there just, you're like, that's not an option. I just don't not do it. Uh, if, so I do it every day and then I do it a few times a day. Usually like I'll do it in the morning with Shannon. We'll do like 10 minutes just to like, you know, set the day off on the right foot. But usually at work, like I'll do like a 20 minute session and the work is actually pretty good. They have meditations every day. Nice. So you can, there'll be a group of people that go into a room and they'll do like, they'll use Headspace, which is already the app that okay. I always liked using. So it's perfect. So I'll usually do like two or three a day. Um, but if I don't do it like this weekend, I haven't, I didn't do it like the other day. Like usually you can, you can actually meditate at any time, even yeah. while interacting. And you, that's the point of meditation is that you change, not just, you don't have an, they call it altered traits, not altered states. Like, uh, taking like LSD is like an altered state. Sure. Um, but you, it's great when you have it, but like once you're back down, you're like, pretty much the same old guy yeah (laughs) so the point of meditation is that like you carry what you have in meditation to your like life and you become uh more equanim equanimous something like that you and uh you become more present in the moment so usually if i can't meditate i'll just try to interact incredibly presently sure like don't think like if you have i'm sorry don't think but allow thoughts to come allow them to go feel your weight on like the chair when you're speaking to someone, try to be as present as you can be. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much the practice. Yeah. Um, does Andy do everything in um, Headspace? Is it the same narrator throughout? Same narrator all? Okay. Throughout. I had done the initial 10 on that, and then I've used a couple other apps, Insight Timer, that's free. Insight Timer is great. Yeah. I use that one for like an unguided meditation a lot. Okay. Because you can, they have great timers where you can set up like uh, buffers and different bells at different times to indicate things. Yeah. Yeah, I love that app. Yeah, I like them a lot. And they do a, f- a handful of guided ones that are free. Yeah, and they're like crowdsourced too, which is yeah. nice so that like people can tell you which ones are like good. Do you use it a lot? Um, not as often as I have. I go through spurts. I've never been a daily meditator. I've gotten to the point where I can do 10 minutes, 15 minutes in the morning, and I do feel better. I just don't. I've not been able to make it as habitual as it needs to be right? in order to feel like I get the full weight out of it. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's tough. But uh, yeah, it's a it's good stuff. So I recommend Headspace the whole way. But Sam Harris actually has an app too. It's called uh, Waking Up, and he does okay. like a, his own meditation course. Nice. So yeah, I've been really into him in terms of podcasts. That guy is uh, he's awesome, and he was like a he was big for me because like when I was a teenager, I got really into this atheist phase, and he's like one of the four horsemen of the atheist apocalypse or something. Okay. It, uh, so he like writes books about it, and he's like a really intellectual guy so i've always just been a big fan of his so i like his podcast a lot what do you feel like you're out of an atheist phase now at this point or it's just not as prevalent in your decision are you a believer i used to i feel like it's more what most people that i maybe i just see it because i'm like it but i see it with a lot of people that like it's like a phase it's like you grew up religious and you became an atheist because you were like oh my god i was lied to freaking nonsense yeah it's not and then you get so angry and then you kind of realize you you see the structures of religion and why they exist and in in rejecting it you're like because when you reject it you're like why do people do this because like it, it can be so simple it's like if we kind of think it's not true how does this still exist and then you kind of see it's like oh well it's community like it's a way of you know unifying people it also is a comfort to people in yeah. terms of like the big questions that we really don't have answers for and then also i've been listening to a ton of jordan peterson lately <clears throat> it yeah. serves as like a uh what a codified morality in terms of stories so like they leave us all these stories like 
like the reason Jesus is so like prevalent in the Catholic faith is or Christian faith at all is because it's like, Oh, well he was like this great hero. Like he could, you know, beat everybody at everything. And he was just like so nice and he did all these great things. And so we're going to teach you about him as like a, a way for you to kind of encode your own morality in your head. Uh, Do you think that without that sort of a structure that people are less likely to behave and we would be more animalistic with our impulses? Hard to say, man. <laughs> uh, Sam Harris hates religion. And he thinks that he like you shouldn't you like that you would be better without it. I don't know. I it's weird because it's like um, I think if you I think stories are super important now. That was something Jordan Peterson talks about all the time. Stories are like they really help you. Like that's what you you don't remember like rules. They're hard to remember. But sure. t- telling stories about great people and then hearing those stories and emulating those people is kind of like the best way humans learn morality rather than just like memorizing shit. So uh, that's kind of what I see religion now. It's like, I don't know if I'm a believer because like they make a lot of claims about supernatural that don't seem very founded, which I'm not down with. Got to do more of that LSD to really yes. get, into that, <laughs> to get into that half of things. But at the same time, I'm like, I understand why it exists. And I don't think I'm, I used to think I was better than it. And okay, I, sure. I don't think that anymore. I understand it. And given a different few different variables, I could still see myself going to church. I think there's, and I've said it on the show a handful of times, I think there are a lot of people who utilize religion as a weapon and it is a way to put other people down and keep them out of a special club that only they can be a part of yeah, certainly. instead of what the tools of at least the 10 commandments and even the teachings of Jesus and, and a lot of stuff in Western religions or Eastern religions too. Um, the goal being that religion is unconditional love, that mm-hmm. it's showing you that there's something bigger than you that cares about you, that's invested in you and what mm-hmm. you do. And it matters that you do good things and that you invest in other people. Absolutely. And I like that aspect of religion, which is so much better than what like Pete Holmes refers to as afterlife insurance. Right. And it's this way of keeping other people away from what you and only the true believers are able right. to attain. And I like the version of like religion where you can be super honest. Like yeah. when I was a kid, that was the other thing that like talk about honesty. Like when I was a kid, like you, you couldn't say you had doubt, like you would be kind of, you know, people would get upset with you. And, um, and even if you did say you had doubt, it was like really frowned upon, you know? Sure. Um, and so that kind of honesty, like living in a religious part where you can be like honest, like I have doubt. I don't really believe these things happen, but like, you know, I want to believe in love. Like I want to believe in like caring about my neighbor, et cetera. And that really, I feel like wasn't afforded to me and probably most religious people is you just, there's like times where you kind of have to lie. Like yeah. where that's, that's one of the frustrating things about it as a big organization. But yeah, I agree with you. Like people who want to like use it as a way to love as a way to express like kind of the awe of the universe. It's like, yeah, it's a really to show noble... reverence for things that are bigger than us. And, exactly. And that being love, that being, you know, investing in the earth. Right. Exactly. I think like one of the things I've learned too is gratitude is super helpful. It's something they stress yeah. a lot in religion, especially when I grew up in and like, that's something I've learned lately. It's like, it can really set you up for success. Cause like you should just constantly be grateful. Cause like right now you're warm yep. and you live your, your belly is always full and whenever you want it to be. And you can, you know, do all these crazy things. Like we think we're very restricted, but we're, I mean, we're pretty free. Like we can, if we really want to, we can do a lot of things yeah. and our, we have a lot of people generally in our lives who love us. And you know, when you start to, practice gratitude like where you really like do it every morning 
or you know some people i know people i was reading a book about a guy who just wrote thank you letters every morning his first thing wow, would be nice. he would write a thank you letter to whoever like first grade teacher somebody who maybe was a bully that to him to really express gratitude like in a way and it can just brighten your life in such a crazy way so well and it's so easy to be negative it's a lot <laughs> yeah. easier to look at what you don't have or what's not going well and fixate on stuff sure whereas it does it takes effort to be positive it takes effort to look for things to be grateful for and exactly like anything else it's a habit it's a thing that you need to get into the practice of doing and making a point to celebrate what we do have it's a great for your brain. Like you, your brain forms pathways and those pathways get used and they get easier to use. So like if you're negative, you'll just default to negativity. I know that in my own life, like I like even in the last year, I felt like much better at it. Like I try not to be negative, not because I used to conflate negativity with the truth. I think that's like a big thing. Okay. A lot of people do. It's like, you know, if somebody goes up there and like are on stage and they, you know, they do okay. And if somebody goes, ah, they suck. Like for some reason there's like a, conflation like people are like oh that's real like and in my brain certainly like if somebody said something bad about me i was like that's the real me because <laughs> it was negative and if i said something bad about someone else for some reason i'd be like that's true though because it's negative but it's not it's just like this weird conflation i made and i see others sometimes make sure um so yeah creating good habits in your brain for positivity can like really uncouple you from at least uncouple me from that really dumb conflation and then it can make you just happier and make things like seem like uh, people will like you more you'll like you more you'll be able to well, make you, everybody happy you create your own reality yeah it's and so if true you fixate on all the things that aren't going well that's the only things that you see and it's you crazy and i like you put it like it's perfect but like i, like, I don't know why but like when i was, especially when i was a teenager in early college especially i would I'd be like, no, yeah. <laughs> i think like, you don't create your own reality. Reality's there for you. It's a fact. Yeah. It's, it's but, not true. But we, it's a shared reality. And that's what that interconnectedness of humans is kind of the way I see religion. Mm. It's like we all impact each other's realities. Right. I don't buy into a simulation sort of an argument. Yeah. This is a shared game where we're all trying to win. Yeah. And if you're invested in what's happening on the planet, if you're invested on what's happening in societies, then you care about what happens to the other people that are playing. Yeah. The other people that are invested in your life and you, you know, you try to spread love and give good messages to people. And that's all we can really try to do out here. It's really true. What about you? Do you so do you still um, believe are you like a, a God person? Um, yeah, I believe in God, nice. but I was raised in the Jewish faith. I've celebrated a lot of Christmases and stuff. I had my mom was from a Catholic family, so I kind of grew up with a lot of different faiths. And my attitude has been that I don't really want to, I wouldn't want to believe in a God that says like, there's only one true religion and that this is the only way you can win. And that's just not something that I necessarily need to believe as far as the story of Jesus. And if like, I obviously I have been told at different points in my life that I'm going to go to hell because I don't have Jesus as my savior. And yeah, that's, that's sorry you know. about that, by the way. Yep, you know. <laughs> but I've also been told that the Jews are the chosen people, even in right. Christianity. And that even regardless, we have a, a seat closer to Jesus and God in heaven than even Christians can have because we were there first. So uh, I get to you know hold the hem of his garment or something like that upon a, a trusty steed in the clouds. Oh, nice! I don't know about the steed part. <laughs> it sounds good. It does. It all sounds great. Um, I I I guess I I see man as being certainly flawed enough that if God is love, if God is like an undeniable force of positivity, then 
man is flawed enough that it doesn't surprise me that God would need to send his son here to die for our sins because mm. I, you know, we are flawed. We mess up constantly. There's a lot of negativity, but I think God is older than religion and any, I don't see that any one of us has, like, I don't need those stories to be true or factual, right? Like throughout history, that sort of a thing for God to be, you know, um, for me invested in like the water and what's like actually real and on the planet, which is why so much of Judaism is not about an afterlife. It's about investing in the society and the earth that you live on and like trying to make this place better and that this is ultimately what we have. So I don't know if there's anything that happens after this, but I do consider myself a believer still. Hmm. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah, man. Judaism is, is dope. <laughs> One thing that I really liked is that after you got bar mitzvah when you were in seventh grade and then your confirmation class, I want to say, was like when you were a sophomore or junior in high school. I think it can vary. I think I got mine in like sixth grade or something, but it's like my... But at girl. least for Judaism. Oh, um, I understand. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were... Never mind. <laughs> That's okay. Um, but in those years in between, at least at my temple, we kind of did a year or two years of going to other faiths and like sitting in on services and going to meeting and going. What was that like? It was very interesting. And it was, where'd that, you go? It was at that point in my life. We did them all. I mean, we went to a Mormon church. We went to a Christian Catholic Protestant seventh day Adventist Jehovah's uh-huh. witness. Like we, we really kind of ran the gamut nice. of other faiths that were accessible, at least, you know, within an hour of our temple. Yeah. Um, and so at that point in my life, it was a lot of like questioning and wondering, and I don't even know if I was like super bought into God and religion at that point, even through like bar mitzvah and um, confirmation. It was definitely like in my 20, late 20s, early 30s that it really started to like matter to me um, that I said like, yes, when people ask me, because there are so many people who at this point in their life don't believe or say, like actively will say that they don't. And I don't know that there, for me, there might not ever get to be heaven unless everybody believes, almost like the end of the Santa Claus. <laughs> and so at this point, I'm just here. All I can do is do my best to spread what I believe to be. But that's what I th- I, th- I look to use comedy to serve. You yeah. know, I'm not going to be like at church every weekend. I'm not going to synagogue. Right. But like during those like youthful ages where like they're like, it's okay to question things. Mm. They supported you in that sort of like seek out other religions. And so the fact that we did that inside of the temple was nice to be able to like, they, they look at like, this is what other people believe. You have to be tolerant of them. And that is nice. Like it was definitely, I like not- what you just said there too. They supported your doubt. Cause it's just a yeah. natural cycle of being a human. I think, right? Like you, you, you want to destroy all the old structures. Like you're going to be young. So you're going to be like super like maybe anarchist, but you're just gonna be like every structure that exists now stinks. Like we should create the future and then you're young and you should have that view. And it's cool that they supported that. And then kind of knowing that eventually you'll probably come back, come back to what's there and what's natural, or at least where your family is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's okay if you don't, you know, yeah, we don't need the Jews, especially don't proselytize. We're not like looking to convert more people. It's really, really nice part of that faith. (laughs) Yeah. And, but I, in the same, in the same breath, if I was somebody who genuinely believed that anybody who didn't accept Jesus Christ into their life was going to be condemned to hell, I would proselytize every minute of the day. Cause why wouldn't you want to save all the human beings that you know, that you care about. So they're not, you know, tortured for eternity by the devil. Yeah. I get it. I get it too. I, but I, you know, 
telling a 17 year old Garrett that he's going to burn in hell was not the most convincing argument. Again, I didn't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned um, Jordan Peterson a couple times earlier. I don't know enough about him, but I know what I see at least online is that he gets a rap in the same kind of vein that like a Milo uh, who wrote for Breitbart does. Yeah. Not necessarily like a Steve Bannon, but he definitely has a lot of people who... That's the way they try to spin him a lot. Milo, if you ever watch Milo, is like he was a provocateur. Like he was somebody who wanted to offend. And it wasn't like he was blatant about it. Like, And he would even say that. Like he wanted to hurt people's feelings. And he wanted to be provocative, uh, Peter, and he was you know super conservative, and right. he like just kind of enjoyed the poking and prodding. Peterson definitely like did that, but it like he's definitely provocative, but like it's not. He's tries to tell the truth, if that makes sense. Sure. And sometimes it can cut through things that uh, we view as like our sacred cows. You know what I mean? Um, I recommend. I mean, his I, if if you're interested, him on uh, Joe Rogan is really interesting. Basically, what happened was. Uh, Canada, they were trying to pass legislation that if you <clears throat> don't use, you are mandated to use like uh, whatever pronoun someone asks you to use. And then if you don't do that, then they can um, basically give you a fine. And then, you know, basically if you don't pay the fine, you go to jail. Okay. <laughs> so it's like a free speech thing, right? Like, you know, and he was like, look, I think that's dumb. Like I don't, he, and he even admits like he has students who are trans or who are, non-binary and stuff and he would always whatever they wanted to be called he would always call it because it was like a personal thing like that person spoke to him and said like hey like you know this is how i feel this is like what i've experienced and he would he'd agree to it but he wasn't cool with like mandating it almost like you'd be like you know you can't outlaw certain words like and this was like basically in-lawing words it'd be like if you don't do this certain thing we can like you know we have legal means to prosecute you. and yeah. not only this exact rule but he was like but what does that set a precedent for if suddenly now the government can control language like you know if this gets passed like you know it's great now and maybe five years from now nothing will change but 30 years from now they could point to this and go well we already legislate language so now we can get rid of these words and so you know it was like a and then everyone came after him for being like anti-trans, right? They were like, you hate trans people and you hate like all these things. So he got pushed in the alt-right, but uh, I, I've never seen that as like what he's going for. What he has. Usually okay. what he's going for is he's kind of like a motivational speaker at times. Like he really wants people to get their lives back in order. And he's, that's like a big part of his thing is like clean your room, like be a good person, be competent. And he's a, he's a clinical psychologist. So okay. he talks a lot about like, how men and women kind of differ in the psychological sense. Um, but you know, I mean, you've probably seen it, but like, uh, like on the left right now, it's become pretty like taboo to talk about differences between men and women. Sure. Everybody's supposed to be like the same. And so, uh, yeah, it's just interesting. So I'm actually a big fan of his, he's on Joe Rogan a lot, so he can do a much better job explaining his ideals. Yeah, than I could, certainly. Um, I don't think he's anything like a Milo. Okay. But more like, I guess towards, towards women, I guess some of those opinions can, different as far as like i guess yeah you're right people want to discuss what it is that uh is different about us instead of like what unites us as all being the yeah. same yeah but he's a he's definitely a cool guy so i do, recommend it do you do a lot of the joe rogan show i know that's i hadn't but man i've been getting into it lately because at first i thought he was just kind of like this is mean but like my thought was like ah, it's just dumb shock jock you pump a lot of pump a lot of iron listen to a lot of joe rogan that's like a lifestyle but he, he really delves deep on some of these topics like He's really an interesting guy and he is really curious. So he'll he'll have on people who don't agree with him. He'll have on people who um, 
have just like niche views that he feels like need to get yeah. mainstreamed because everything's going crazy. So I actually think he's a very clear minded guy. So yeah, I really like him. Have you ever listened? Um, when he has certain guests on, I'll seek it out, but I don't, uh, he shows up in my like recommended YouTube videos a lot. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'll check him out there, but it's not a show. I have like a, an OCD where for podcasts, if I'm going to subscribe, I have to listen to like every episode. Oh and my it, God. There are like 1300 episodes. Yeah. So that's never going to happen. So I'll, I will get a uh, smattering of him throughout time, but yeah. it, it won't be a show. And they're hours and hours long. Some of those, I think episodes. the ones with Alex Jones was like four hours. <laughs> I don't want to listen to anybody, that long, especially <laughs> if I got to do every week. So, um, my podcast, Garrett Teitelbaum, it's nice to see he's working. We've done this segment one time with you in the past, Phil, but we do a question each week called Always Improving. And I don't remember what you answered previously when you've been on before, but... I don't know if I've done it. Really? Uh, well, maybe not. Always Improving is brought to us by the Greenbrier Treatment Center. Uh, you can reach them at 1-800-637-HOPE or greenbrier.net. They offer many options to pay for drug and alcohol rehab, either with or without insurance right here in Western Pennsylvania. But I ask my guests each week, um, what's the one thing you think we can do to make the human experience better for everyone here on planet Earth? I don't know if it's a, it's just a cliche, but you got to you got to love. Um, I think something I learned was uh, love your enemies. <laughs> I, you know, Jesus always taught it, but like, I didn't believe it at all, sure. but I found that most people in this world who are mean and troubled are generally the people who are in the most pain and who have yep. the most, most things in their life have been, you know, squeezed or whatever. And so I think what we generally try to do is give the people who are the nicest to us the most love and the people who we don't like, who are our enemies, etc., the least. And you should kind of try as much as you can to even it out or switch it up because like the people you don't like they're just people who were born and they didn't choose to be born and they didn't choose their parents what country they grew up in their influences what they liked what their proclivities were and now they exist as a person kind of through no fault of their own and you exist as a person through no fault of your own and if they're in a lot of pain you can actually like be kind to them and be like loving toward them even if they do something hateful or something like they deserve love and they're not going to come back if you're more hateful toward them no, and that's uh, true that's one thing I've found in my life is like, you know, if somebody's mean to you or is, you know, you don't like them, it's generally because they're in a lot of pain and they're just, you know, pushing it out. I know it's true in my life. So well, love see, people. See yeah. plenty of that in comedy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Everybody's just trying to, you know, get through the day sometimes. They really are. And absolutely. Yeah. If you meet somebody who's just got a chip on their shoulder, it's probably because of something that happened 30 years ago that they uh, have no idea. They don't even remember it happened. Yeah. And, uh, they're just pushing it out on to you. So. Yeah. Got to get it out in different ways. Well, always improving. I think that's a great answer brought to us by the Greenbrier Treatment Center. They can be reached at 1-800-637-HOPE or greenbrier.net. They are restoring hope and recovering lives. Many options, once again, to cover your expenses for drug and alcohol rehab through their systems here throughout western Pennsylvania. What's your answer to that question, Garrett? What do I think we can do to make the world a little bit better for everybody? Um, you know, 
I th- I like the love answer. Uh, I've had a lot of good ones in the last you know fifty odd episodes that we've been doing that segment. I think genuinely investing in other people and you know realizing that nobody does it alone. You don't have to be too proud to ask for help, but you also need to look out for opportunities that you can give back to other people, whether they're ahead of you or behind you in the universe, whether it's through comedy or just through circumstances that they don't have as much or have the same sort of abilities that you do. Being able to give your skills uh, to them, give your time to them, invest in them so that way other people besides yourself can succeed. You know, I think investing in human beings and trying your best to leave the place that you call home, whether that's your community, your bedroom, whatever, um, a little bit better than it was before you got there. That's amazing. Yeah, I'm amazing. You're amazing. We're amazing. We are amazing. (laughs) Well, it's good to catch up, man. It's good to be uh, back. What was it like coming back for the Burning Bridges Festival? You'd gotten to be so much fun. You'd gotten to be a part of it uh, when you lived here, uh, years two and three, and then came back this year for uh, the big number four here on the fest. It's nice doing stand up for audience members. Holy God. I did a beta stage. I was telling you on the car ride over. It was like forty people came, and they were lit crowd. And nice. I did like fifteen minutes, and like I was like, they were fun, you know, rolling into you, allowing you to do shit. So yeah, that was dope. And then the strip joker show was uh, again similarly great, great audience, great people. So it was good seeing everybody. I was like, uh, I remember I was watching Harry on stage, and I was like, had a total flashback because I knew the words to the joke. Sure, like, you know. Hadn't I think heard everybody. it in months. But yeah, I hadn't heard it in a long time. But, you know, I'm a huge fan of Harry's jokes. Like, he's such a funny guy. And so, like, I just started saying them. It was like a zombie <laughs> apocalypse joke. I was like, I love this joke. And so, <laughs> and then I was standing in that little hallway in Hambones, uh, I guess Burning Bridges Club. Yep. And, uh, like, right before the, you know what I'm talking about, when you walk into the showroom. Yeah. And there's, like, you're just in the little hallway that's created by the curtain. Um, and I was just standing there, and I had a total flashback. I was like, oh, I feel like I live here again. And I feel like uh, I'm just, like, you know. Thursday night. Yeah, Thursday night. Exactly. So it was great. It was great catching up with everybody. I was sad I didn't see more people and get to hang out more, but I think I'll just come back another time. Yeah, Uh, definitely. Pretty easy to get out here. And uh, I start working from home soon so I can work remotely from anywhere. So hopefully I have for a week and do a couple shows. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it was a great, uh, what a great city. What was it like doing the underwear show? Because I didn't do the underwear show, but I did a hot dog and it that the, you're certainly taking one of the elements of feeling comfortable or in control, <laughs> in control of your act and kind of throwing it out the window for those sorts of theme shows. Yeah, it was, it was good. I, some, you know, sometimes when you do stand up, you feel like shit and you feel like you can't be funny at all. Yeah. And sometimes you do stand up and you feel like you're the best and you can't do any wrong for whatever reason. I was in one of those good States. And so I, it didn't get in my head. And so I just had a few riffs about like my body. I was like, uh, I just started off with a riff. I was like, ground rules. I'm very sensitive about what my nipples look like, which is true. I don't like what they look like. And I, I'll cover them normally or flick them so they become hard so people don't see them. Uh, so I was like, ground rules, you, you, can't, you can't be mean to me about what my nipples look like. <laughs> and they were totally down. You know, I was like honest and stuff. And I was like, in fact, if you see me later, I would appreciate you don't say anything about the show and just say, good nips. And like, it was like a good riff. And it, yeah. it started off. And from there, I just did my act and stripped. Nice. But... Uh, yeah, my voice started. My voice is trembling now for some reason, but uh, my voice started trembling during like the middle of the show, especially sure. when I took my pants off. I was like, mm. <laughs> "Hi guys." Yeah, yeah, it was it was awkward. But, it's uh, got to be nice to get that rep in at um, beta stage, especially with a good audience beforehand. Absolutely, be like, it helps so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Shout out to Brian Gray putting me up. Yeah, really kind of absolutely. Yeah, the beta stage is great over at Arcade, 6 o'clock on Saturdays. This weekend, you can catch Zach Funk doing a run-through of his album recording. He was just on the podcast. Oh, cool. So I know that with this coming out the first week of April, the this upcoming Saturday at Beta Stage, he's doing an album run-through I'm going to try to get to. And then the following week when I'm not in the area, he's taping his album over at Mr. Smalls. Mm. That'll be so much fun. Brains are Go weird. Zach. Yeah, Zach Funk, friend of the pod. Phil Florence, friend of the pod. <sighs> Five Timers Club, man. I don't know what to do. <laughs> we'll celebrate. <laughs> Go out. We'll get a coffee. We'll call it a great day. Um, I know you mentioned being sober the first few months of the year. How was that experience uh, with not drinking? I know you and I have been chatting that I've been uh, without alcohol for a little over five months now. Yeah, uh, it's dope. I would. I had. I had some drinks this weekend, and I had one some last weekend. But I was like, I'm gonna probably stop again because it's yeah. so much fun. I love it. You're more productive. You're happier. Uh, you don't need alcohol, and you can still hang out with people who do drink, and they'll just shit on you, and you can shit on them <laughs> for being degenerates, and yeah. it's uh, it's really great. So I recommend it. At least do it, even if you don't care. Like at least do it for a few months so that you can break habits. Like yeah. I found, I was just having drinks when I didn't want them and just to just, be at a location you're like, yeah exactly to. other people were doing it and then when i for you know i guess two and a half months didn't drink i like had to say no to a lot of people like no i'm not drinking no i'm not drinking and it broke the habits and now i like don't feel like i have to drink at all even sure. if i if i want to i will but uh, and even like i'll have like one or two drinks and i'll be like i don't want anymore like i know what i get i know what this right. looks like so Definitely. What's been your experience? It's been nice. And you look like a hero when you give someone the drink tickets they pay you <laughs> with in comedy. They're like, you, you'll give me your album? Yeah, yeah it's fine. Yeah, man. I don't <laughs> you need them. <laughs> <laughs> I've really liked it. It's been... I So I felt like, at least with weed, um, taking the hiatus and getting that out of my system for 130 days, um, it's been nice because I felt like I was medicating stress with it. And using it in a way that anytime I'd feel anxious, I would use it to kind of shut my brain off and feeling like I definitely don't need that as the way that I kind of cure everything, which I felt like I did through most of my 20s. Yeah. Kind of with alcohol, um, they just felt like at some point unnecessary calories. I don't. They are a lot. Yeah. I don't need them in my life. Um, I'm not somebody who's anxious to be around people that often. Like it doesn't bother me to be the social aspects of comedy. and. Mm If um, if I don't need it, then why am I, you know, investing that time, that money, not feeling well in the morning when I want to stay in control of what's going on? So alcohol has been really nice to kind of just cut out entirely. And I don't I don't see, you know, maybe I'll have like a drink eventually, but I don't need it. It's not something that I crave, Um, whereas weed was definitely something that I felt like was tougher to cut out of my system. Right. I agree. (laughs) Weed is like. It doesn't mess you up as much. Like it's, it can, uh, it doesn't mess up your sleep cycles. Right. It isn't calories. And if you already weren't doing something, it is fun to just like jump back in. Yeah. And if you, if you can utilize it in, you know, a fun, healthy way where it's just like on the weekends and you're doing it with your friends and if it's a social thing. Yeah. But I was definitely like, even with kind of reintroducing it on the weekends, I made it a point to be like, well, I'm not smoking before the Todd Berry show. I'm not going to smoke before my my set for the hot dog show. Mm-hmm. I still want to be fresh because I used to make rules like that where it's like, oh, if it's a show day, I won't do it. Or if I like I need to accomplish five things before I do it. Mm. But if it's like oh, you're allowed to do it on the weekends, but you have to be responsible about it with all the other like comedy and things that you have going on. 
I just want to make sure that that it still stays something that I have in my control. It's not something I'm keeping in the house. It's not something yeah. that I'm going to like utilize all the time. Yeah. But yeah, I don't mind it. I think I just need to be more responsible with it. And that's more, that's what that 130 days with no weed was about is kind of just reassessing those habits right. and getting myself to a place where I felt like I had more control of my schedule. Yeah. I know you talked about kind of being regimented about things and you like, what's a typical day for Phil? Like as far as wake up and do like the routine sort of stuff when it comes to like, this is when I write, this is when I meditate, this is when I work. What's an average kind of weekday or weekend day look like for you? Uh, it actually is pretty regimented. I wake up at 6.15. Um, I jump in. Uh, I do a cold shower for a minute. Yeah, why so, do you do that? Uh, somebody, Tony Robbins does it. <laughs> All right. And he, uh, and it, it, it wakes you up. I mean, like. If I know you're gonna, Seinfeld splashes water on his face. I oh, okay. It's probably a similar. water bill a little bit. Yeah. My landlord pays my water bill, so oh, I'll just nice. keep the shower running 24-7. <laughs> uh, steam the whole room. Yeah. <laughs> I steam my shirts with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. But, Irons uh, are outdated. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll get up. I'll do I do like 20 push-ups, uh, jump in the cold shower. Freaks my body out a lot. Like you're like, you're free. Uh, and then you get out and you you know warm up. I usually put on like a full coat. And then I feel great because I'm like a toasted <laughs> marshmallow. Um, and then, yeah, you have all your endorphins going at that point because your right. body's shocked up, you've done push-ups, and so you're moving. And then I just write, uh, the writing process, uh, is pretty much just like, think right now I've, I've been trying to be like, I've always just found like, I'm not good at being vulnerable on stage. Like, yeah, like Osha, I think about it a lot. Like she's like so funny. And one of the reasons she's so funny is she's just so vulnerable. Yeah. And I've tried it, like not trying to do her, but try to do my own version of it, like be vulnerable. And I see other people succeed with it too. I'm just not that good at it. Like, I just don't, I, I don't think my, I don't think my personal life is that funny. Like, sure. I don't think my vulnerabilities are funny. And so I think that translates that other people won't find them funny. Well, and especially if those writing <clears throat> sessions, the only stuff that you really take out of them is the stuff that makes you laugh out loud. Exactly. If you're not ready to laugh about it or it's not what your sensibility is to think is funny. It makes sense why it's not translating right. to stage yet. So like I've been trying to go more observational. So I just write like phrases that I've heard. Okay. And then I try to, I've been into the first story. There's this guy online. And he talks about first story, second story in terms of jokes. All jokes are like telling one story and then telling a second story that reinterprets the first story in like a funny way. And like one-liners are like that because they'll like crux on a word. And even like, you know, long drawn out bits are like, this is how normal people view this. This is how I view this. And you can like flip things and you tell two different stories. So yeah. I'll just write like phrases. Um, and then I'll try to write like a reinterpretation of the phrase. It's that shows a funny picture. Yeah. So I'll just do that all morning. So I'll just think like, oh, what are things people said yesterday? Like you're fired or like, you know, I don't know. Should I ask for a raise this year? And you write that down and then you try to like write a punchline of like, I don't know. I should ask for a raise this year. And then like, you know, it's been a long time working at the poop factory, <laughs> which is like <laughs> funny. Like it's it's not clever, but no. like it's um, <laughs> it's it tells a second story because yeah. you First, you picture somebody. Anyway, so that's my process been lately, and it's a lot sillier, and it's like uh, it's a lot funnier to me because like I'm like writing something like, oh, that was a funny way to reinterpret the first thing. Now is Shannon still in bed, and you're in the corner yes, writing? Yes, I am. Okay. I, we have a little kitchen table, so I just sit at it. Uh, I write for an hour, and then she wakes up, and then we do a meditation for like ten minutes. Uh, Headspace has a lot of great like packs, so you like yeah. rotate through packs. Then. Um, and I do a real shower to actually clean myself. Uh, <laughs> and that's nice because it's like really warm. And you're like, wow, this is way better than earlier. <laughs> I hate it earlier. 
and then uh, go to work afterwards. Uh, at work, I'll write sometimes. Like I'll take uh, take time, and then uh, I'll go to a six p.m. mic at the Creek in the Cave. Then I'll try to hit an eight p.m. mic. Sometimes I'm exhausted, or like Shannon and I have something to do, so I'll piece right after the six. But I'll hit an eight. Occasionally, I'll do an eight and a ten. And then everybody will be like, oh, you may as well do the 11 now. And I'll be like, fuck, I do not want to do that. So <laughs> that's my typical day. And then I record all my sets and I, I listen to them like just in it random times during the day. Like, you know, if I'm working and I'm not getting a lot done, I'll just put my set on from last night and listen to it. What do you listen for at this point? Are you like consciously when you do three or four in a night or do you like think about the tag each like throughout the week? Are you working on one joke for seven days at a time or do you kind of have that sort of stuff regimented out? Just passively listen, and if things pop up, like I'll go, I should never say that again, or I should go, I go, oh wait, I'm completely miscommunicating that, or That's not how to phrase that, yeah, yeah, exactly, or I'm like, this is too long, like this could be one sentence, like uh, to set this joke up, so it's pit, but like I don't look for it, I just listen, and when I watch other people's sets, I don't know if you do this, but I have like a million critiques going in my oh, head, always, yeah, sure, um, which is bad because. It's kind of, I should treat myself a little nicer and I should treat other people a little nicer because it's, but that being said, it can be useful for that. So I'll just throw on my set and I'll be like, what are you doing? Don't do that. Do this. So uh, I don't really have to work too hard to criticize myself in that way. <laughs> so yeah, just listen to them all the time and then, you know, take notes and then, you know, go up with the new notes on stage. Nice. Yeah. Um, what was I going to ask? How are you liking engineering now that it's like a full-time career versus like when it was your study or even in your co-ops? I thought I would hate it. It's so much fun. Yeah, uh, I yeah. really like it. Uh, I, I became an engineer because I thought they paid a lot of money and I was always okay at math. Sure. And uh, But it's fun. You get to problem solve every day. And in engineering school, they would throw you like really hard problems. <laughs> like yeah. they were constantly testing you and making you fail and you'd fail tests all the time. When you got out in the real world, like you're doing a very regimented job usually unless you're like a cutting edge engineer where you're actually developing new chips or you're developing new ais or new algorithms like those people you know they're actually doing the hardest work me i'm working with like clients like that's the hardest okay. part of me like a client's like we need you to build this i'm like well we can do this but this will cost you you know twice as much money as you've already put up and this is a lighter weight solution it's not exactly what you want but we can build this and it's really like tight framework so i don't sure. have to reinvent the wheel a lot of the time so it's just like it's a nice level of not too hard, hard enough that you can be creative at the job. Keeps and your brain functioning on not comedy math. It's true. Oh, it is nice. And you can actually draw a lot more. I've, I've been thinking of it as a bonus because you can draw from if you cut out at work and actually enjoy your work, then you can use it for comedy because you're not just sitting there like hating everybody sure. and just thinking about when can I do stand up? You're like, oh, I enjoy this. And then you go on stage. You're like, oh, I had this thing happen at work today that I think is really funny. And it goes back to thinking about things in a positive way instead of a negative way. And when, you, very like, true. when you like the way you're spending your hours, it's a lot easier to focus on the things about it that you like versus when you're like in the thick of a project you don't care about or you're not excited about. Yeah, so you're true. Like, why are we still doing this? Or why is that the way we've structured this setup? Or Yeah. yeah. No, you're exactly right. What about you? you like what's your like a uh, daily like routine look like um so i'm up at 6 30 and i'll do some quick breakfast i'll get to the gym and then i'm probably you do gym before work yeah that's awesome so i've been getting to the gym about 7 15 i'm done at eight showered and at my desk by like 8 40 does that set you up for like a good day I feel better on those days. Yeah. So I've gotten since January, I'm in East Liberty. I've got a co-working space that I go to where I'll work because all my work is remote back okay. in Ohio uh, since April of last year. So um, 
it was good to get out of the house and kind of build that routine because by forcing myself to go to the gym in the morning, I'm like, all right, well, I have a co-working space over there. I'm already in East Liberty. I do it all like in that kind of way of getting out of Swissvale. So that's been nice to force me out of the house. And then I've got calls two or three days a week at nine or with clients throughout the day. Um, and then the rest of it is kind of my own to like take breaks. So I'm, I'm starting to get better about structuring after every 50 minutes or so taking a 10 minute kind of mm. break to walk around or to either like concentrate and write or keep myself reading. Um, I've been in a book club for the last year oh, with some college buddies right now I'm reading. Um, you sh- I heard you paint houses, which okay. is the book that the movie, the Irishman that um, Scorsese is doing on Netflix later this year about okay. the, the gentleman who killed Jimmy Hoffa and kind of the story of what, happened uh is it good yeah it's been really good it's an interesting read so i got about 150 pages to finish by monday for our, our book club okay. do you have anything that you liked because it's my pick for next month i gotta i gotta pick the, the book for april oh man uh gotta be is there any genre that you 500 pages or less. less a lot of what we've done has been either detective-y sort of like whodunit stuff or some sci-fi we did like ready player one and armada oh, okay which were both pretty good do you ever read Catch Twenty Two? No. Catch Twenty Two is one of the funniest books. Yeah. I thought it was. It, I mean, it's incredible. It's like a classic. Yeah. And I, at one point, I went through a spurt of like, I should read all the classic books, and Dude. most of them I were like, this is good, but not really my thing. I thought Catch Twenty Two was so funny, and it's really like interesting. It's kind of told in a really interesting way and it's really yeah i think it's uh okay. i think that's an amazing book be worth picking up i tried to pick a classic last time i did arthur miller's uh death of a salesman oh okay and that was like one of the few books that most of the group didn't do uh, now we yeah. got busy and like it was a wedding that month and there were a few other things going on but i'm trying to like pick something a little newer since Keep it, it newer. seems like that's what everybody else has been picking and they've at least been more popular i don't i don't I, unfortunately i don't read like right now i read a lot of like uh like i'm reading sam harris's book about sure. lying i'll read a lot of like nonfiction, like Esoter- yeah. not esoteric yeah esoteric stuff like yeah, sure. um but eh, i'm not a big book recommender i can't think of anything that, but yeah catch 22 is a dope is a book good one. and if you simon rich is so funny okay amp farm it's just a it's a comedy book like he's writing jokes like it's every every chapter is just a new uh joke okay uh and he'll like do like you know four pages of it and they know i do comedy i could get him into that sort of stuff it's so funny ant farm is like one of the funniest books i've been giving that to so many people Very uh, cool. so ant farm yeah yep we'll do that <laughs> dope <Done. laughs> i'll check up <laughs> and we're good all right but well we're an hour and 15 we've gone plenty yeah. people don't want to talk there listen to us talk for much longer than that not do they? at all was there anything we didn't get to that you wanted to talk about no man anything? it was good to catch up you as well man always good to see you i'm happy you're back here in pittsburgh even if it's just for a couple of days and yeah we get hopefully to be back soon dialing you know you're always welcome here at uh unplanned comedy the podcast garrett Teitelbaum. it's nice to see he's working coming up on our three-year anniversary next month Thank you for tuning in each and every week. Phil, if the listeners want to find you on social media, if they haven't done so over your first four visits, <laughs> what is the best way to find you out there? What do you say, kid? Uh, Twitter, at Phil Florence, Instagram, Phil Florence, and my Facebook page, Phil Florence. I kept it real simple for the gang. Come on, guys. You follow can me. follow him. He's out there. You can review our podcast, rate it five stars if you know how to do that on iTunes, Stitcher, or Laughable. New episodes every Tuesday on Garrett Teitelbaum. It's nice to see he's working. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Dropping Bombs, B-A-U-M-S, and on Facebook at Garrett Teitelbaum. It's nice to see he's working. 
Phil, I love you. I, I think love you, you're Gary. Really neat. Oh, thank you, my friend. You have been listening to Unplanned Comedy Pods, a podcast collection.